So we all like to find ways to make life a little easier. So that desire, that innate desire to make life easier has caused us to move from, say, using a washboard <laughs> to a washing machine, right? Or to move from hand-washing dishes to using a dishwasher. Very helpful appliances. Uh, last year, I bought my wife a Roomba. You know, a Roomba, the theory is you can program this thing, it learns your house, you can tell it when to vacuum, and it goes around and vacuums for you. It's a lovely concept. Didn't quite meet my wife's standard of cleanliness, so the Roomba sits unused. And a lot of times, I'm the, uh, I'm the Roomba instead. Others share in that joy as well. Uh, we seek to make these normal parts of life more manageable. But there are inevitable challenges that we face in life. There's an old commercial campaign from Nationwide. The catchphrase was, life comes at you fast. <laughs> and uh, there are so many challenges that come our way and you can't control them all. Life comes at you fast and for everything else there's Nationwide. Well, yeah, probably you know, great slogan, but probably they can't deal with our biggest problems, would be my guess. As we look through our text this morning, both in Ecclesiastes to get our minds moving, as well as in the main source of our discussion, which is from John chapter 13, we want to understand this, that life is better with loving relationships. Life is better with loving relationships. Take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And look at verses 9 through 12 with me. Solomon writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who was alone when he falls and he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. These concepts from Ecclesiastes let us know that life is better with friends. Having someone to navigate and traverse through life with is a very helpful reality. And in our passage this morning, as you head over to the book of John, the Gospel of John 13, Jesus calls us into fruitful, loving relationships. First and foremost, with Him, and then secondarily as extensions of His loving kindness toward others. So relationships with Him, and then relationships with others. The context of Jesus' action in John 13 and His invitation for us to both experience that love and then demonstrate that love is leading up to the ultimate expression of His love, which is His willingness to lay down His life for me. 
His willingness to lay down His life for you. And the way that He expresses it in John 15, His willingness to lay down His life for His friends. He laid down His life for His friends. The hour has come. We started talking about that some in John chapter 12, and that concept of the hour arises again here at the beginning of chapter 13. The hour has come not just for Jesus to celebrate the Passover with His disciples, but for Him to be the Passover Lamb. He knows this. It's on His mind. While all this is going on, the disciples are eating the Passover meal according to Luke's account, which is not recorded here in John 13. Some of the disciples are having a discussion among themselves about who should be considered the greatest. And Jesus, in that context, responds with both word and deed, demonstrating something about what real greatness is. And the way that Luke articulates it in Luke 22-27, it comes this way. Listen carefully to these words. Jesus said, For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. I've come to serve. I've come to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom for the many. It's in this context that Jesus will wash the feet of His disciples. And I want for us to hear John's summary statement of this in verse 1. I want you to think, this is John summarizing what you're about to, to read and take in is captured in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. This is what John uses as a summary about what we're about to read. That Jesus loved His own who were still in the world and that He loved them to the end. You could read that to mean He loved them to the uttermost. You could read that to mean He loved them to the very last moment. Or you could read that to mean He loved them for the ultimate purpose. To bring out forth the ultimate purpose of redeeming them. However you read it, what we see clearly is that Jesus in this scene is loving His people and He's loving them in this full-bodied, lasting way. So John does not include the dispute among the disciples to set the scene. Instead, what John does to set the scene is he describes that there is in Judas a lurking influence of Satan 
ready to betray Jesus. And it was real. And it was heavy. I want for us to see this by looking at verses 2 and verse 21. Verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, and he goes on and describes the scene, but before he gets to the scene, he says, while all this is happening, Judas, the betrayer, is there. Satan is influencing him there. Look down at verse 21 now. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified. This is real. This is heavy. This is Jesus the Son of Man. Also the Son of God. Jesus the Christ. This is Jesus fully man experiencing what it's like to love people while he's being betrayed knowing what that betrayal was going to lead to both physically emotionally and spiritually Jesus knew that he was going to be made sin for us. He became the Passover Lamb. The means by which God passes over our sins. Because it found its target, guilty party, in Jesus. Though He knew no sin, nor committed no sin, He became sin for us. This is heavy. And Jesus felt it. In verses 3 through 5, what we want to see is Jesus knows where he is coming from and where he is going. He's fully aware that God has given him everything. And in that context, he robes himself like a common servant. Look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus starts to wash his disciples' feet. Their feet are becoming clean. And He is becoming dirty. Interesting. He willingly subjects Himself to being dressed like a servant and to work in their dirty scene with their dirty feet. In this scenario, we have the Creator washing the created thing. We have the Teacher washing the student. We have the Master washing the feet of the servants. 
And we have the betrayed washing the feet of His betrayer. This so emblematically shows us what our Savior is like. Who left the glory of heaven to take on a human body to be subject to a mom and a dad, to be dependent, to grow up and have to learn things. It's just so emblematic of Him, our humble Savior. Now we have verses 6 and following. And we, we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and then He gets to Peter. <laughs> it's always a variable when Peter's involved. Is always a variable when you're involved. There's always a variable when I'm involved. Peter is just another dude like us. Person like us. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet very emphatic the way he asks this question like you're washing my feet this is not logical this this isn't how it works that'll never happen to you jesus (laughs) yeah no this is the way it works very similar to john the baptist's response when jesus came to be baptized no 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 No, i should be being, being baptized by you this is to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus. This is, the, this is what needs to happen. This is happening. I'll be betrayed into the hands of... That'll never happen to you! This is what's happening. You'll never wash my feet. He's going to get there. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand. Not right now, but afterward you will understand. After this, you'll understand. After I explain it some more, after I articulate it some more, after you see the unfolding of all of this, after I die, after I'm on the cross, after I'm in the tomb, after I rise, after I appear to you, after my resurrection, after I ascend into heaven, sometime after this, you'll figure this out. You'll start to understand what it means that right now I'm going around as your Savior, Master, Teacher, Lord, Creator, washing your feet. You'll understand it at some point. Verse 8. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And in the Greek, it's very emphatic. He says, No, no, wash my feet, not to the ever. (laughs) You'll never wash. Wash my feet. Very emphatic. Very forceful. He's persuaded. This is the way it's going to be. You're not washing my feet. And that's the end of it. Jesus interacts with him. If I do not wash you, you have no part or share with me. Meros. It just means part. You have no part with me. So now Peter's in a little bit of a dilemma. (laughs) Jesus essentially is saying, you need the cleansing that I provide. And we're not talking about dirty, smelly digits that you walk on. You need the cleansing that I have come to provide through my life, 
death, burial, and resurrection. At this interchange, you'll be surprised to know Peter has a radical change in his expression. Now in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Let's do this thing! It's shower time! It's just a radical reversal. You'll never wash my feet. Never ever. Under any circumstances. It's not happening. If you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. Okay, let's do it. This opens up a very important expression that Jesus makes. And here's where we're going to spend a few moments in park as we think on verse 10 and its implications. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Is completely clean. I want to talk about this idea that Jesus interjects here as part of the discussion. It's very important for our understanding of this concept of completely clean to see the implications of the dirty feet that will come from this. Take a look at John 15 for a moment. He tells them, you are completely clean. If you've already bathed, you're completely clean. And then He says, you are clean, but not all of you. Not every one of you. And He explains in verse 11 that the not every one of you is not a reference to anyone but Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, who came forth for this very means, very purpose. We want to see this concept of cleansing. In John 15, in verse 3, Jesus will say this to them later on, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. Now I want to try to... Bring your mind back to last week's message. We talked about the rhema, sayings of Jesus. And we talked about the logos, word of Jesus. The message of Jesus. The ramifications of Jesus. And that word or commandment, it was called at the end of chapter 12, that commandment is eternal life. The Father sent Jesus with this commandment, which is eternal life. It's the Logos. It's Jesus Himself. And it's all of what Jesus came to articulate. That He is, in fact, life. And He says here in John 15, you are clean because of the Logos that I've spoken to you. I've told you that I've come to bear your sin. I told you I've come to lay my life down. I told you that I will not only lay it down, but I will take it back up again. This command I have received or authority I have received from my Father. So you're clean through the Word that I have proclaimed to you or spoken to you. Look down at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for His friends. This is part of that cleansing. It's Jesus laying down His life. He becomes sin for us. God charges Him guilty. He takes all of our IOUs that we've accrued and they're rolled up 
nailed to the cross, taking them out of the way forever. It's amazing. Cleansing. Look over at the book of Hebrews, please, for a second. Hebrews chapter 10. This passage will help to cement this concept for us, I believe, very clearly. We're talking about the fact that Jesus tells Peter in this interaction about washing his feet, you are already completely clean. You don't need anything else. The cleansing I've provided with you, for you, excuse me, is sufficient for your confident endurance. You have a part with me. There is some washing that's needed. There are things that come out. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But right now we're talking about this completely clean concept. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, it moves from the theological in chapter 10, verse 18, right into the practical outworking of that theological truth. Now, the book of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the best, the very best, and necessary. There is no other direction to go in. Don't head back to Judaism, which was a safe haven for you. Don't head back toward rituals. They didn't do anything for you. Head toward Jesus. Trust Jesus. That's where life is. That essentially is what Hebrews is telling us. Here in chapter 10, in verse 19, he applies this with this expression. Starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, listen, draw near, draw near with a true heart in full assurance, confidence, full assurance, draw near to God, draw near confidently and in full assurance by faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So he's using the imagery of pure water to help us to think of this cleansing, but he's already told us in verse 19, it was the blood of Jesus that provided that pure cleansing, and it gives us a confident assurance of drawing near to the holiest of holies, our God. He's cleansed us through the blood of His Son, Jesus. We have complete confidence to engage with our God on the basis of our relationship and a standing of perfection because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Believer, you've trusted Christ. I want to tell you something. Right where you're seated, I want you to know this. You can write it down. It's true. Believer, you are completely clean. It's not because you've done everything perfectly. You found a new and better way. You changed the course of your life. You started new patterns. There are better patterns. And now you're clean? New. No. That is not a a firm foundation 
that's a shaky foundation. That's a foundation on the sand that will wash away at the crumbling that comes from the waves of the sea. But when your feet are firmly fixed upon the rock of Christ, it's His righteousness and His work and His blood that is the footing upon which you stand, it doesn't matter what comes and wails upon that foundation. It remains. The righteousness of Christ is undiminished, undaunted, irreproachable. If that is the basis of your relationship with God, that means your relationship with God is imperfect standing. So he says, draw near. Draw near with confidence. Draw near based upon the blood of Jesus. We've been completely forgiven and cleansed. And we've been declared righteous. And yet life will unveil our need. Life will unveil dirty digits. Stinky, filthy. Oh, you could talk about a lot of things when you talk about feet and toes. It's rather disgusting to think about sometimes. The remnants of our sin, the remnants of our frustration, of our greed, of our covetousness, of our idolatry, of our pride, they will be unveiled in the course of this life. You will see yourself in the mirror. And if you're being honest, when you look at you, you're probably not going to be super happy. Jesus came to show you love beyond measure. To wash your feet after all that you are is revealed. Most others would turn, look away, Think, ooh, what is that? But not your Savior. There's a song written, at least performed by Chris Tomlin. I don't know who wrote it. I think it was probably him. Called Jesus, Son of God. I want you to hear just a few of the words here. You came down from heaven's throne. This earth you formed was not your home. A love like this the world had never known. A crown of thorns to mock Your name. Forgiveness fell upon Your face. A love like this the world had never known. You took our sin. You bore our shame. You rose to life. You defeated the grave. Love like this the world has never known. I want you to think. I would like for it to resonate with us. All my sin. All your sin. All your dirt. All my filth. He came to address. And He continues right now to apply the forgiveness that He has won for us. 
Get your mind back in John 13. You're one of the disciples eating the Passover meal with Jesus. Here you are, eating the Passover with the Passover lamb. And you're concerning yourself, like the rest of the disciples, about who will be considered the greatest. And the Passover lamb who came to take away the sin of the world rises from the dinner table, takes off his outer garment, takes out a towel, and robes himself like a servant. You're all arguing. We're all arguing about who's, who should be seen as the greatest. And there's the Passover lamb washing dirt off of our feet and wiping our smelly feet with his towel that he's got on him. A love like this, the world could never know unless God came down to show us. And He did. Isn't that good news? There is no God like ours. He is in this scene loving His disciples. He is in this scene loving Me. In this scene, He's loving you. Washing your feet and serving you. The question for you Did this foot washing, did it provide spiritual cleansing? Whose feet did Jesus wash? All of the disciples. And yet, one of them was his betrayer. Not all of them were clean. The washing of water does not do anything more than take care of external dirt. We need what that washing stands for, which is caring for the sin of our soul. You are clean, but not every one of you, not all of you are clean, he says in verse 11. Let's look at verses 12 and following and see how Jesus then starts to talk through the implications of this. Verses 12 and 13 we'll start with. When He had washed their feet and put on His outer garments and resumed His place, He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, And you are right, for so I am. He's starting the process of helping them to see the significance of Him humbling Himself. You call Me Teacher and Lord. Lord and Teacher is what He's going to change it to in just a moment. He says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you 
if you do them. In these verses, Jesus is doing two things. He's calling them and us to first of all, receive the love that He has demonstrated. First, they had to submit their dirty feet to Him. And then, to follow His example of that by being channels of that same love they had received to those around them. Before we can really participate in the kind of service to which we've been called, we must first receive the service that Jesus provides. We have to subject our dirty feet to our Savior. There was a commercial recently about Jesus washing people's feet in various contexts. Washing someone's feet doesn't save them. And yet, Jesus came to provide cleansing from people from all those contexts. People like me and you. People that are kind of like us. People that are radically different than we are. Jesus came to provide cleansing for people in all these different contexts. He washed the feet of His betrayer. It did not accomplish the salvation of His soul. And yet, that demonstration of Jesus' glorious humility and service shows what kind of a Savior He is and who He can impact. Feet are inglorious items. Now, they're probably more glorious today than ever before since we have like many petty type things. I don't know. I've, I would never go to a, get a pedicure myself. If you do, that is your business. Have at it. Enjoy it. To me, sticking my foot in someone's face is not my cup of tea. And yet, God put me in such a circumstance just a few years back. Many of you will remember that I was in a motorcycle accident and my foot was crushed. And my foot was disgusting. It really was, it was an absolute mess. It was gross to look at. And it had various smells associated with infection and medicine and all kinds of other stuff. Dying skin. Wonderful. I used to say to my son, Drew, Hey, Drew, can you come over here and smell this? <laughs> what a good sport he was. <clears throat> Nonetheless, there's more to this. I was going to physical therapy three times a week. And this young lady had to deal with my disgusting foot and use these metal instruments to like torture me and put different ointments on it to try to help me and it was embarrassing and humiliating. And every time I was there, I apologized to her that she had to touch my stupid foot. Um, it's, it's really hard to expose something that you feel a little embarrassed about. Like if I go to your home and you make me take my shoes off, I'm like, I'm like really? Do I have to? This is not my thing. I don't, 
I don't wear sandals. I don't want people seeing my feet. I don't, you know, maybe the, I've worn these shoes a few too many times. Things might happen. might smell. I don't like this. It's, it's humiliating. I don't like it. We move from the common and think about the spiritual implications. We're actually talking about something on a spiritual level. And we're sticking our dirty feet in the direction of our perfect Savior. You know, the good news is He knows every molecule and stench of my foot, my feet already. And He has already come and fully addressed all the sin associated with those dirty feet. I can, with confidence, bring my dirty feet spiritually into the presence of my Savior because He knows it all. And He's come to address it all. In cleansing our feet, He applies the truth of the Gospel the forgiveness that He won already by laying down His life and shedding His blood. Can I say it again? Believer, you are clean. And He continues to apply that cleansing. Now Jesus calls you and I to serve one another like this. There are lots of implications. We could talk about this in a ceremonial way and talk about like actually having foot-washing ceremonies. But remember, that's only dealing with externals. Jesus is talking about something deeper than the externals. And we could talk about it about, hey, listen, being willing to come alongside of people that have dirty jobs that need to be done in their homes and you can come alongside and serve them that way. That's perfectly fine. Good implications, good applications with that. And so think about ways in which you can serve one another. It's good. All appropriate. But what Jesus is depicting here is not just about doing dirty jobs with people who need help. He's talking about the exposure of ourselves and our sin that needs to be addressed. And He addresses it and invites us to be involved in the same thing with one another. The implications of this are huge. He's talking about the dirty work of humbling ourselves to subject ourselves to one another showing our dirty feet and being willing to say, there's cleansing for you in Christ. Let's remind you of where you find confidence and cleansing and restoration and everything you need. We're applying the very same thing that Jesus is applying. The work He's already won and accomplished. We're saying, look at what it does. It doesn't just deal with our... our soteriological salvation. Okay, one day I'll be saved. It also addresses my day-to-day walk. It's applying it today, right now. 
There's humility in this, both by the one that's willing to subject themselves to others and say, yeah, I, I've, I have struggles. I'm struggling with loving my spouse. I'm struggling with my child's reaction to me. I'm struggling with my coworker. It's, it's weighing down on me. I feel defeated. Like I really expected if I did all these things, everything would work out. And, and I just feel like a miserable failure being able to say that to one another. And for us, lovingly to serve one another and say, God knows all of this. He has your child in His hands. And as you can entrust Him with your soul, you can entrust Him with the soul of your child. Look at what He's done. He's trustworthy. You don't have to try to fix everything and work it all out. We come alongside of each other and we apply what Jesus has won. But it takes humility on both the one submitting their dirty feet and the one with the basin pouring the water of Christ's forgiveness and patting the feet dry and saying, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I have my own struggles. It's going to be okay. He's already figured it out. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians 6 for a moment. The love that we have received is so glorious. The way that it is written in Romans 5.5 is that God shed His love abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He's given to us. So we've received that love. We've experienced the benefits of that love. And that love then is available as a, as a, a way in which we express who we are in Christ. We become channels of that love. In Galatians chapter 6, look at verses 1 and 2 for a moment. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass or transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This concept is deeply rooted in this concept of Washing one another's feet. Loving one another so that the world may know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. And it's with a spirit of gentleness and meekness. These are fruits. Fruitful expressions of the Spirit's work in our lives. We want to deal in that gentleness and meekness when addressing and dealing with the dirt that comes up in life. We bear one another's burdens. If people experience the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ when they come to you and to me with their burden of sin and guilt and hurt, if they experience that gentleness and meekness, they are far more likely when they have that same guilt and burden and feelings of condemnation 
and hurt to come to us again. Oh, to be the kind of friend to one another that we become safe. Safe. Is it safe to bring your sin to Jesus? Should it be safe for you to bring your sin to your brothers and sisters in Christ? It should be safe. And we point each other back to Him. Life is better with friends. Life is better with friends. Head back to John 13 just for a moment. When we're washing one another's feet in this spiritual, metaphorical way, we're washing them with the forgiveness provided by God through Jesus. We're assuring them that the Gospel truths that we love and cherish are true, that we are in fact covered, that we are in fact cleansed, that it's safe to bring our burdens to one another, and so we can with James confess our sins to one another. We need this cleansing, and Jesus tells us in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There is a blessing associated with being vessels of God's love and grace. There's a blessing associated with self-forgetfulness. Like I'm not above this. I'm not above them. I'm not a... We're in this together. Thank God we have a loving, beautiful, gracious, merciful God who loves us. It's... We're in this together. Listen to these words as we conclude from Chad Bird. He's an Old Testament scholar and a writer. The fingers that crafted the universe scrub scum from between toes. The hands that painted the cosmos wash feet painted with dirt and sweat. The One before whom all angels bow gets on His knees to labor as a slave. We become clean. He becomes filthy. In doing this, Jesus, our God, gives us a humble epiphany, a revelation of who He is. He is the God who makes His glory visible in lowliness and servitude. He is the God who gives His cheek to the betraying lips of Judas. His face to the slapping hand of the high priest. His countenance to the spit of the Sanhedrin. He is the God who gives His head to the thorns, His feet to the spikes, His side to the spear. He is the God who embraces rejection, shame, torture, and death to give Himself to you. And here is why. Because that's who God is. He is the God who is love. Therefore, He loves you by giving to you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. When He gives you, what He gives you is nothing less than Himself. God gives, you receive, 
That is everything. Let's pray. Father, we need You. We're thankful that in our need for You, You have provided everything that we need. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your life. For Your humility. For Your service. For Your sacrifice. For Your resurrection. For Your ascension to the right hand of our Father. Your Father. To Your continued work of applying the good work that You have accomplished as our Advocate, as our High Priest, always living to make intercession for us. Thank You. Help us, Father. Help us, Spirit of God. Help us that we would be vessels of this kind of love to point one another to You. Help us to be channels of Your love who are safe so we might be able to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We commit ourselves to You. We commit each other to You. And we pray that through our reception of all that You are and all that You provide, we would be those that proclaim Your goodness now until You take us home. In Jesus' name, Amen.